welcome to the Weirdly Specific Podcast. My name is Alyssa Meraki. Each week, myself and a guest come to the table with an item or experience to discuss, unpack, or digest. It could be good, it could be bad, but no matter what, it's bound to be Weirdly Specific. Hi, listeners, and welcome back to the Weirdly Specific Podcast. I'm Alyssa Meraki, and today, my special guest is my friend, Valerie. Valerie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really, really excited to talk to you today. I know that we've been planning on this and moving things around, and you're honestly like one of my favorite people to follow, and I've loved getting to know you and your account. So do you want to tell us a little bit about you? And um, I know that, you know, it's not your favorite thing to talk about you, but um, yeah, tell us a little bit about maybe what what, um, gets you up in the morning. Okay. Well, um, I'll start with like the personal aspect of myself. Um, I am 32 years old, 32 years young. Um, I am the baby of five children. So I come from a big family. I have um, seven nephews, one niece and another nephew on the way. So there's just, there's a lot of people in my family and I love that. Um, I'm a dog mom and I'm sure you've seen lovely pictures of Oliver. Um, (laughs) he's my favorite. Um, I love, 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 love music and movies. Uh, anything that can just kind of like, I can just get lost in. I used to really enjoy reading, but I find that like, I haven't created the time for it, like in my personal life. So I turn to music or movies often. Um, I love hiking and traveling and all that good stuff. Um, in terms of my professional life, I am an associate marriage and family therapist, an associate professional clinical counselor. And basically what that means is the unfortunate part of getting a master's degree in counseling psychology is that you have to spend a few years after you graduate um, earning your hours for licensing within the state that you're located. So that's what I'm currently doing. doing. I'm still earning hours for licensing. Um, I'm also recently a certified completion process practitioner, and the completion process is based in trauma healing and integrative work. Um, It's a little bit more on the spiritual side of things. Um, It has a lot to do with integrating um, different parts of your consciousness that have split off over time. So I'm exploring that whole realm and how that can... um, add to my clinical work in the future. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pretty much me. <laughs> wow. I have, I have so many questions. <laughs> um, so I mean, I knew that you worked like, first of all, I think the reason why you and I sort of bonded is for this sort of this mutual love of, I don't know, like of media and of like relationships and deconstructing yeah. sort of like, our spaces in the world. And I I know that you're a really good critical thinker. And I think that, you know, we've bonded through direct messages and all kinds of things like discussing and parsing through that. Right. Um, So let me ask first about like the latter thing that you talked about, which is, I mean, therapy and, and, and trauma based or trauma informed therapy, I guess Mm -hmm. is um, a topic that I've actually, we've actually talked about on the podcast a couple times before with a couple other folks. And I kind of wanted to know, um, like your perspective on the ways in which 
it informs how you see yourself, how you see people who I, I guess and I'm using air quotes here who need fixing. Mm-hmm. I think like so often we see therapy as a space like that you, you need to go to therapy to be fixed. And I've found over time that therapy is a space for me to externalize and it's a space for me to explore layers of myself I wouldn't do on my own. So I guess I wanted to know like how that, I guess like theory or that sort of critical thinking informs the work that you do there and then also how you see yourself and people around you. Yes. So I couldn't agree more with you the fact that I I also agree that therapy is so <laughs> what I like to tell people that I do is um, I walk alongside others through their self-discovery and healing for a living. And um, to me, in my experience in therapy um, over the past, however, it's like 10 plus years, um, I remember my therapist said to me at one point, she's like, you're not damaged goods. And that was the first time that I was like, wow, okay, like, I'm not here because I'm this basket case of issues. I'm here because I'm meant to be here unpacking all of this stuff, exploring it, learning about myself through it so that I can continue to press on and go through my life. I think that, it, that the trauma-informed lens is so huge in the treatment process. For example, I actually, um, right now I work in elementary schools and I am one of the schools that I work at experienced a very severe trauma. And so a lot of the work that I'm doing is trauma based. If I wasn't going into that environment with a trauma informed lens, I wouldn't know how to approach the students, the staff, everybody in that environment with the correct manner. It would be okay, here I am to do therapy and that's that. But no, everything is so much more gentle and empathic and it takes, it it slows, it really does slow the therapeutic process down as opposed to, you know, if somebody came into therapy for something that had nothing to do with trauma. So yeah, I think that, you know, the trauma-informed lens, it's a huge thing that I think we all could benefit from learning about it, even if you aren't in um, the clinical world, even if you've never gone to therapy, somebody in your life has been touched by trauma and having the understanding can just build for better relationships and communication about the trauma. Wow. Thank you for that. Thank you. I think, you know, in hearing you talk about it, I guess what I'm hearing is the ways in which trauma-informed lenses allow you to be kind or allow you to give space for people to work through things. I, you know, something that I'm not very good at, and it's something that, you know, we don't have to go through a therapy session right now, but (laughs) something that, that I'm not good at is being kind to myself when I'm angry and when I'm experiencing symptoms of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I get really frustrated with myself. Um, Like lately I've been having severe acne skin issues Mm -hmm. and um, as a result of a lot of different things, but it's, it's, I know it's extremely exacerbated by my own anger and by my own stress. Um, and I wonder, you know, not not to say that you can prescribe, you know, treatment for me or for anyone else through this podcast, but in what ways might a trauma-informed lens allow you to give people space to be kind? Like, what what sorts of things do you ask people to consider instead of just saying, okay, like, why are you feeling this way? Okay, let's fix it, you know? 
Yeah. Um, I would say one of the biggest things that I ask people to consider is that trauma is not on a spectrum as much as it, as it is on a continuum. So trauma, something that's traumatic to me might roll off your shoulders and something that's traumatic to you might not have as much of an impact on me. So having that understanding, you can't go into somebody else's life and judge them for how much a certain thing is impacting, you know, their mental health, their well-being, so on and so forth. And I think that a lot of my work as far as being an advocate is informing people of that concept that we all have our own experiences and we can't take each other's truth away. So I can't go to you and say, you know what, Alyssa, it's not that big of a deal because I'm not walking in your shoes and I don't know what it feels like. Um, so I would say that's like, that's one of the biggest things that I advocate for. Um, having those lenses on also cultivates empathy and it teaches us to be kinder to each other as well as ourselves. And, and I think it's kind of perfect because that's going to tie into a little bit of what I wanted to talk about. But I think that overall, it's just understanding the difference between um, the continuum and spectrum concept that you cannot compare one person's trauma to another person's trauma. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank Like I, that makes a lot of sense. You know, sometimes I just need for folks to externalize things for me to wrap my head around them because you, you know, you can get so caught up in your own anxieties and your own anger and you forget to allow yourself to just feel and yeah. allow yourself to just be like, Hey, like, I know that this seems irrational because I'm thinking about it through a spectrum instead of through a continuum. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so then I, I do want to talk about your thing, but the other thing I just wanted <laughs> to ask about, which was, you know, what you had talked about earlier, which is, um, your love for music and for, you know, is it, is it film and as well as television or what sorts of media like, you know, are really inspiring you? Well, I mean, I could binge watch a show like nobody's business, but <laughs> same, same yeah. when people are like, I don't have time for TV. I'm yeah. like, Okay, well, I don't have time for you. Yeah, so. I'm like, that is the biggest freaking lie. Like, whenever I hear that, I'm like, you have to be lying. Like, what do you do? What do you do with your time? Like, <laughs> what do you do at night? Like, yeah. do you just sit there and just talk to people? No, 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 no. Yeah. Like, you and your partner should be binge-watching a television show. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, honestly, eh, wow. It could be both. It could be television and movies. Um. I love nonlinear stories. So shows and movies that are presented in that manner, like just blow my mind. And I will rewatch over and over and over again. Cause I always find new things. Um, two of my favorite movies, one is called the fountain and one is called comet. Both of those are nonlinear love stories. And it's amazing. Like every time I watch them, I learn something different. Um, I just finished watching for the second time, the center, um, that had Jessica Beale in it and that I have never been so like stuck on a show like that. Her character shook me to my core and I was just like going through my own experiences in life. And then also what I know as far as treating trauma. And I was just like, wow, like to work with a client like that would be amazing. <laughs> Not that, you know, it's amazing that people experience trauma, but, <laughs> um, yeah. So 
honestly, any kind of uh, movie, television show, whatever it is, anything that I can just escape in, I really enjoy that. That's really interesting, like, especially since you mentioned The Fountain. I do know that The Fountain is one of your favorite films. I think it's actually in your bio, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I always see it. Um, and I'd always, you know, actually, The Fountain I haven't seen, but I have seen Darren Aronofsky's, right? I've seen, like, Requiem for a Dream, mm-hmm. um, and which I'm sure you've seen. Yeah. It's only, like, one time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've seen it a few times, yeah. Oh, God, I can't watch it again. Yeah, <laughs> It's, like, no. it's not, it was not my favorite. So when everybody was like, you have to see this, I'm like, what? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, that was a thing that I saw one time, and I'm good not ever yeah. seeing it again. Um, no, I, you know, it's interesting, right, because... I have, I come from an academic background, right? And I come from a literary background in particular where I study critical theory and film and art and texts, I guess, in general, right? So anything can be a text. A film can be a text. Television show can be a text. And so in my classes that I would teach at the university, I would often theme them around media. And I would give my students the opportunity to analyze texts. And by that, I mean television and film and even podcasts. I had students one year in one semester um, write about a podcast episode. And I think for me, what it is, is about like unpacking the symbolism and the metaphors and understanding not necessarily the author's intent, but all of the work that went into creating this other world that I've been enveloped in. And so do you think that you identify with those things that I'm saying, or is it something else about studying and, and, and critiquing media in general that really interests you? I think I, I identify with what you're saying, like 100%. Um, I think for me, and then also too, like, so I can watch something like the fountain was my favorite movie. Like right when it came out, I was, I just fell in love. And over the years, I can't even count how many times I've watched it, but it's become to mean so many different things to me. So also seeing my personal growth as I watch a film, I start to have new ideas or new understanding, or I align differently with the characters within the story. And to me, that's exciting because it can totally change a movie or a TV show for me as I have changed personally and how I identify. So I think that's a really cool part of it too, because essentially those things are timeless. You can watch them over and over again, and they're going to have different meanings over time. Hmm. I, I think that's really beautiful that you have the opportunity to examine the same text, but through the lenses that are shaping you and your perception in that period in time, right? Like, I, it's interesting how at one point in my life, Garden State was like the movie for me. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. You know, and now I look back and I'm like, oh God, like, I, <laughs> no, this is not the movie for me. Right. Um, yeah. But, but now, you know, I find myself enveloped in much more, I guess, like artsy films or films mm-hmm. that are meditations on small moments, like, I mean, like, call me by your name and, you know, like Mm -hmm. these or I mean, like Moonlight, come on, you know, like stunning and beautiful. And did you like Moonlight a lot? 
Yes. And I also, I just watched The Shape of Water and I was like, done. I was like, oh my God, that was beautiful. Like, I want to be a fish now. (laughs) I want to be a fish, crazy fish. (laughs) That's awesome. Okay. So let's get back to the original thing then, right? You said, we were talking about, I guess, kindness and empathy and you had somehow alluded to the fact that it kind of fit align and aligned with your thing today. Did you, did you consider anything else like to bring today, something that you loved or hated, or was this really the thing that you honed in on? The funny thing is like, so we, you know, we had gone back and forth through email trying to schedule a time. And I remember thinking like, what am I going to talk about? Like, I, like, I have no idea what I'm going to talk about. Like, it's going to be something so random, something weirdly specific. And then it's so funny. I want to say it was like the last, it was before I emailed you the topic like I had read your email and then it just popped into my head and it had, it had been a theme throughout my week and it was just like, okay, yeah, like that's what I'm going to talk about. So it came at the right time. Okay. All right. So Valerie, what is your weirdly specific thing? I hate affirmation band-aids or some people call it Novocaine spirituality. (laughs) (laughs) For the listeners at home, we don't mean band-aids that have affirmations yeah. written on them. We mean yeah. <laughs> the metaphorical affirmation band-aid. So are you exactly. saying then small little tidbits of I I mean, I don't know, because something that my therapist really encouraged me to talk about was like to have phrases like, even mm-hmm. though I feel this, I choose to be this. Do you mean that? Yeah or what no, are you about? no 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 okay so what I mean is like okay it basically avoidance avoidance of honoring your feelings at any given moment so let me like rewind okay okay I've experienced a ton of trauma in my life um and I want to say like over the past year I really honed in on connection to self because I am I really suck at doing the things that I tell my clients to do so number one is self-care like I really suck at self-care and so I was like you know what I need I really need to change some things I need to get better at this I need to I need to be able to communicate with myself my body my mind my consciousness everything so I kind of like deep dove into this spiritual world, um, learning a lot about my intuition, trusting my intuition again, because when you experience trauma, you stop trusting yourself sometimes. And, um, going through all these different avenues to just become closer to myself. And I noticed that when I would read certain books or I would follow certain spiritual gurus watch certain videos on YouTube, there was a lot of dismissal of one's own feelings. So, um, for example, like, no, you shouldn't be having a bad day. If you're having a bad day, that makes you a negative person. You should be positive, think positive, um, repeat these positive things, so on and so forth. And at first I remember like feeling like, ew, like this is wrong. Like this, this doesn't feel right. But then I started to second guess myself and say, oh my gosh, I'm being negative. Like I'm questioning this. Like 
this is obviously like, I'm a negative person. I'm not doing a good thing for myself. I need to think positive and so on and so forth. And then finally I was like, no, forget that. Like I really need to trust myself and this doesn't feel right. So I had become a part of like a few different groups with women that were on like a similar spiritual journey. And I noticed a common theme. Um, women were like asking questions such as, you know, I'm really heartbroken. I'm having a bad day and I know that this is bad and I can't be negative and I need to be positive. And then that would like serve as a catalyst for like 20, 30 comments of people, other women saying, you're right. You need to be positive. Like you can't let these negative feelings get to you, blah, 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 blah. And I would, I would tend to ignore then I was like, no, this doesn't feel right. Like I need to start to speak up. So then I would comment and say, Hey, like, I know that I'm going against the grain here, or I might say something that's kind of odd to you, but I really think you need to explore why you're feeling the way that you're feeling. So like the therapist in me was coming out, like, I really think you need to go in deeper. I think you need to lean into this and figure out why am I heartbroken? Why am I having such a bad day? And you know, people would get upset with me or, you know, hate what I was saying. And um, really what I was trying to do was just like, let's not dismiss or avoid anymore because you're going to continue to feel that as you go on. You're going to continue to be upset about this thing if you don't explore it and go into it deeper. Hmm. I, You know, it's interesting because what it's bringing up for me is this idea of how you can be experiencing symptoms of anxiety and simultaneously acknowledge that the world is still full of opportunity for you. Like, you know, it's, a, it's almost as if when, when someone's experiencing negativity and we give them a bandaid to say like, no, be positive, think positive, be distracted by it, go do something else. What we're saying then is that you can only be one of two things. Whereas, mm-hmm emotions are neither right nor wrong. They just are, right? This is what my grandma used to say to me all the time. And and also, right, they exist on a continuum, as you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. And, and you are allowed yeah. to feel and, and sit in the suck and also yeah. have aspects of your life that are good. And, you know, and not to, like, dog on my husband. Like, I, lo- I love him dearly. It's just that he doesn't suffer from anxiety. Like, I think that he's suffered from mm-hmm. symptoms occasionally, but I have, right, like, diagnosed anxiety. And um, it's hard for him sometimes to not just want to fix me, like, when I'm feeling symptoms of anxiety. And for him to say, like, hey, like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be good. I'm like, you know what, Kyle? Like, you just need to, like, let me feel it. <laughs> I don't need yeah. an affirmation band-aid. I, I don't need that right now. What I need is for you to let me externalize and let me sit in the suck. And, um, it, you know, it, that seems like we're drawing out negativity when, I don't know, say more. So what do you think is like the alternative then to uh, affirmation band-aid? Honoring your feelings wherever they are. Just hmm. lean, like, just go into it. And, like, so one of the first things I always explain to my clients is your feelings are always allowed. I cannot open your heart and take away sadness. I cannot open your mind and take away this. Like, and 
it's so important, especially for children, to understand that nobody can ever tell you you're not allowed to feel angry. And they might tell you that, but at the end of the day, you're still going to feel that in your body. And I think that one of the things that ties into anxiety is that when we start to feel bad because we are experiencing anxiety, we shut it down. And then we start to feel bad about feeling bad. And here we have all of this anxiety running through our body. So now, like from the primitive lens, now when we are in another situation where we're feeling that same feeling or that same thought crosses our mind, our body instantly goes into that, oh, no, no, this is bad. I'm bad. I can't feel this way. I feel bad for feeling this way. And then we go kind of in this downward spiral as opposed to like, I am feeling really sucky right now. And I just need to be with this feeling and I need to explore it. And it might not go away now. It might not go away tomorrow, but I need to honor this. And I think that that is going to provide so much more healing and growth and understanding of self as opposed to, I am feeling really bad, but you know what? I should be grateful because of X, Y, and Z. And I think that lots of times that's what people are taught to do. And that doesn't teach us to connect to self. That doesn't teach us to understand our own language with ourselves. So, huh. You know, what you just said right there at the end, understanding our own language with ourselves, that's very interesting to me. Something that my therapist says and reiterates quite a lot is, um, so, so she studies psychoanalysis and um, Lacanian psychoanalysis. So a lot of it is like deconstruction mm-hmm. and, and gaze and lenses and association, right? So sometimes I'll just say something and I'll just go on. I'm just going. Yeah. <laughs> like, this connects to this, which connects to this, which connects to this. And then I'll catch myself and I'll be apologetic. And I say, I'll say, oh, I'm sorry. Like, I, I, this probably doesn't make any sense. I'm just like rambling now. And she like continually repeats to me, Alyssa, what is coming up for you is allowed to come up. Mm-hmm. Like, let it be. Yeah. If this is associated with that and it draws you to this next conclusion, there's a reason these things are connected. Mm-hmm. Let's explore why that is. And so what I'm, I guess what I'm hearing is this idea that you have this, this internal network or this internal language inside of you that is trying to bubble up to the surface. But when you suppress it and when you quash it with an affirmation bandaid, you're not letting it breathe. Exactly. You know? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, going back to intuition for a long time, I didn't listen to myself. So I no longer knew what it meant when I felt a pit in my stomach. I no longer knew what it meant when I had like that flutter in my chest, the positive flutter in my chest. And I had to literally relearn what my language was in order to understand myself and trust myself. And I am 10 times happier now than I was back probably six, seven, eight months ago when I realized, oh my God, I don't even understand my own body anymore. And that wasn't from like an aesthetic perspective or anything like that. It was, I don't understand my internal dialogue, my internal feelings. Like I don't get what this means. And that was a very, very scary time for me. Um, So absolutely. I think that whatever comes up, 
you have to let it breathe and you have to explore it. And I've beaten myself up in the past. I've said, you have no right to feel this way. You have a roof over your head. You have air in your lungs. Your legs work and move. You have no right to feel this way. And that all that did was prolong healing. Um, all that did was push off like any type of self-exploration or, you know, like unpacking, like you've said, like I just kept putting things off and avoiding and dismissing. And now when I'm pissed, I let myself be pissed and I explore it and I go through it. And then I, I come out on the other side a lot quicker. Um, I'm going to let you know right now, like I'm literally in tears, I guess you're talking right now. I don't know, like, it's really, and this is like the first time this has happened on this podcast, like, the universe is so weird. Like, you know, I, this conversation is like what I need, like right now in this moment where I'm at. But I guess what you're saying is like, lean in. Yeah. <laughs> like, yo, you, you are in pain and this sucks. And yeah. No, absolutely. And in, like I said in the beginning, there's that continuum. And it doesn't matter if it's struggling with acne or struggling with heartbreak. It all sucks. And you can't dismiss it just because it's something that might not be perceived as super traumatic or painful to from for other people. Um and honestly, I was I was fighting back tears when I was talking about the whole idea of no longer having a language with myself because I think that's the first time I ac- actually said it in that manner. Um, because I felt so alone, and when you feel alone in your own yep. freaking body, like what do you have to grasp yeah, onto? Like you don't even know yourself anymore, and you don't. I think sometimes we take for granted the um, the harmony and the circadian rhythm that we have with ourselves fairly often. Um, like Mm -hmm. when we're good, right. Um, you know, and it even goes Mm -hmm. back to this idea. And I wonder if, you know, you've studied this in your own work around like gut health and around how if your internal kind of gut is uncomfortable, that can manifest itself outwardly. And, um, you know, how so much, there's been so much science that has tied anxiety and trauma and pain and depression to like physical gut health and internal, you know, issues that are going on and how they kind of like feed off of one another. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Like, sometimes you just need to, I guess, get in touch with what's really going on literally inside. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Before you can try to fix what's, you know, manifesting outwardly. Yeah. And even, you know, I have tons of experience with that as well. Like, um, you know, changing my diet, noticing a huge difference in my outside world. Um, but even like going deeper in terms of memory, like memories, um, I recently, something that I've struggled with over the years is like the fear of having my voice taken away. And, that's connected to a few things as an adult, but I recently made the connection to a very specific memory when I was a little girl. And the funniest thing happened when I made that connection, my voice sounded different and it lasted maybe like your throat chakra. (laughs) Yeah. Like I totally cleared my throat chakra. It, it sounded different. And then I, like, I called my friend, um, 
she's like an intuitive guide and soul coach and all of this stuff. And I called her and I was like, you know, do you remember when you said you think I have a singing voice? And she's like, yeah. I was like, I wonder if I do. <laughs> and she, we started laughing and like, obviously I would never sing in front of anybody, but <laughs> um, I thought it was weird. And then I went a little deeper and I had a pain in my shoulders that wouldn't go away since like May. And I connected that to a memory when I was younger. And all of a sudden that pain in my shoulders went away. So it's like digging in deep. If we're experiencing something that's um, really heavy for us right now, chances are it's connected to something that we experienced as a child. And if we don't lean into our feelings and we don't investigate and we don't recreate that language with self, we will never make that connection. And therefore we will never heal that part of our childhood. And, um, I feel like the last year I've been like running this marathon of self-healing and it's been amazing and scary and painful. But I think that's why I'm like so fired up on this topic of we cannot continue to tell people to dismiss their feelings with affirmation band-aids. Like we just can't do it. Because you're essentially, like a Band-Aid does, just covering up something that very likely needs to be able to breathe, that needs to be able to be explored. I mean, we we will hound people for picking and prodding at wounds, right? Um, because it, we say it delays yeah. the healing process, right? But maybe, maybe, right, yeah, for yeah. these sort of spiritual and mental battles, like picking and prodding is important, right? I, I know for me, if I pick and prod too much, I'm going to find myself in analysis paralysis, like that it's not going to help. But there might be some need for some picking and prodding for some opening up. And and that's painful, right? It's painful. And it's scary. And it's like, why do I have to examine this thing? Why can't I just cover it and just ignore it and pretend like it's not here? Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things that I think are coming up for me right now as you talk. And it's, again, it's weird how the universe works, right? It's like, this is the conversation I needed today. And I'm so grateful for you. Yeah, no, it's honestly, I feel like whenever I have this conversation with somebody, it's always perfect timing for both of us. Because for me, I don't feel like I realize how important it is to me and then until I'm talking about it with somebody. And that's one of my favorite things is to cultivate like just healthy dialogue about these abstract concepts. And when we go in deeper with each other, I think it provides even more insight for me and then also for you as well. So, I mean, I, I love the fact that this all timed out perfectly, you know, us trying to schedule something and then this popping in my head, I feel like it couldn't have been any more perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I think it actually really nicely leads into the thing that I brought today. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Okay. So interestingly, this is also something that I hate and I wonder if it applies to maybe in some way to affirmation band-aids as well. Um, So I hate when people play devil's advocate just for the sake of being contrary. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Um, Okay. I agree. (laughs) So I'm not talking about like critique. I think that critique is necessary. Pushback is necessary. Providing an alternative opinion or suggesting um, 
a different perspective so that someone can have a wider, more holistic lens on what they're facing or what they're battling is important. But being a devil's advocate just to say, well, no, or well, actually, or well, I don't think that's always the case. This is for me um, about ego and it's lazy. <laughs> um, so I think that sometimes we see this and I guess maybe I'll provide context. We see this a lot with like, if there's any class of person who is facing some form of oppression and needs to externalize that and explain their, their situation. Like what well, if it's, you know, um, like a trans person, there's always a cis person providing devil's advocate, like commentary or you know it's like this is people are at it again or if like you know a black woman explains like her experience or a black man explains her their experience right like there's always a white person in there saying well well actually and it's not actually that this person is providing an alternative opinion that is well thought it's mm-hmm. that they're they're naysaying when they have no skin in the game right yes like they have no reason to comment on this it's literally not a space that affects them but they feel the need to hear themselves talk or see the things that they write and what it does is it allows that person to be immune from actually any critical thought because they just piggyback on what that person had said without having to put out a fully fledged opinion so most recently right like we've seen this in um like if there's any sort of post about the ways in which men do things that are shitty, there are without fail, men, women, all sorts of folks in the comments saying, well, I think that, you know, women do this too, or it's a two way street, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, this post was about yeah. <laughs> how this affect, or like recently I saw this actually on um, feministing. I think it's a, an account that I follow. Maybe it was on guerrilla feminism. I don't know. Um, but the post was something around, like something like that women were facing or something and someone goes well this affects men too and the account responded to them and said this post is about women go find another post to comment on hey the context of this particular language is about this topic if you have a good well thought critical thought about that then feel free to share it. But if you have no skin in the game and you're just here to be contrarian, there's no reason for you to be here. Um, yeah. You know, and so what, and you see it often, I think these folks are pointing out pessimism or they're pointing out negativity where there really doesn't need to be. Um, you know, like recently someone I follow on Twitter was like, um, you know, black girls are magic, right? Which is like a um, a common phrase that we hear from like people of color, black women in particular. And someone was like, mm-hmm. all girls are magic. And she's like, nope, <laughs> no, no, yeah. Yeah. this is not about that. This is about this, right? So it, it's like, yeah. stop it. You know, it's, um, I think it's really easy as well to just disagree. It's harder to support or to provide an alternative opinion. Um, and so it just, you know, again, it allows you, literally to play to like the devil's advocate instead of actually bringing some dialogue to the table so that's my thing what do you think (laughs) no I I honestly (laughs) 
<laughs> this bothers me so much because I, okay, I love, 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 love having healthy dialogue about anything. I hate debating. And I feel like there are certain conversations that I won't enter into with certain individuals because I know they're going to do the whole devil's advocate thing. Mm. And I think that, like you said, they're going into it without even having an original thought. And they are just genuinely piggybacking off of something else that's been said by someone else in a previous platform. And I think that the unfortunate part about that is that they're saying something just for the sake of saying something, Hmm. which takes a lot more effort than just honoring what's being said by the individual. And if you don't agree, you just continue to scroll past. And I feel like if you put the same amount of energy into yourself into being an empathic individual as you do to being playing devil's advocate in every area in which you possibly could, you might start to like yourself a little bit more, or you might become a little bit more likable, um, and really learn a lot about yourself. And, and that, that right there, that statement comes from me in in the past and how much I've grown and how much more tolerant I've become in some areas where I was just flat out ignorant and didn't know a damn thing, but I still had an opinion anyways. Um, when you go inward, you learn a whole lot about your outside world. Mm. And I just wish people would spend more time doing that as opposed to, well, you know what, this person posted this really powerful thing, and I'm just going to crap all over it just for the sake of doing so. Right, right. And I, I wonder too, you know, you'd mentioned this idea of when you're going inward, you learn to like yourself a bit more. Um, I think that yeah. applies to both of our things that we brought today for sure. But I, I do wonder, you know, and maybe bounce this off of you, if the folks that are being contrarian to be contrarian, is it because there's such an insecurity within them being able to formulate their own opinions that they feel like safer in an environment where they can just, you know, push someone a little bit so that they can get a rise out of them. And like, that is more, that's just as fulfilling or it embodies like the need as someone like you or I intellectual stimulation fills our need in that space. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, no, it does. I honestly feel like for a lot of people, it's, oh no, I'm really don't know anything about this topic, but I want to sound like I do. So I'm going to go with the popular opinion, or I'm going to go with what I've seen somebody else say that is contrary to this. Um, I also feel like people have no idea how much courage it really takes to be vulnerable and to say, you know what, I don't know anything about this and I'm just here to learn or I'm going to go read up on this. I mean, there's been tons of times where I've watched your stories and I'm like, well, shit, I don't know anything about this. I'm going to listen a little closer or I'm going to go read more about this. And I feel like people can very easily hide behind this like facade of a strong opinion as opposed to being vulnerable and honest and either scrolling past because they don't like it or saying, Hey, I don't know about this. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I love that. I mean, that I think that's, again, why you and I have bonded so well, because we've had just so many conversations over the course of time. And I think that's something that I'm always aiming to do is, I mean, when I was a little baby, social justice, <laughs> like, I guess, like, social justice warrior, right? When I, like, kind of several years ago, I was very contrarian to any opposing opinion that was just, like, racist or bigoted or xenophobic or jingoistic or anything like that right like anything that was you know contrary to the empathic kind of viewpoint that I wanted I was just like shut the fuck up you're a moron right um and now though I don't entertain (laughs) bigots um in the same sense like I I realize that I can't just be contrarian like I need to provide some context and some a critical thinking not necessarily again and I've mentioned this on this podcast before so that I can potentially change that person's mind um because I might not but so that someone else coming to those comments won't have their mind changed by the original person um it's important to speak your truth right <laughs> clear yeah. your throat chakra and your throat chakra yeah yeah um, <laughs> but it but also be conscious of the words that you're saying right like language isn't neutral um and oftentimes language is reflective again of the the things that you're struggling with and wrestling with internally um so and a lot of that gets misconstrued i think online and so i wonder i mean we see devil's advocates in real life right like i see it all the time at work um in general i think at my work we have a really healthy culture of debate but there are folks sometimes who are just like no, I don't think that's going to work. And we're like, okay, but can you provide like a reason why? Like, do you, yeah. just, like, or do you just like want to have some skin in the game here and you just want to say no? Um, so I don't know. I think, but, but a lot of times I think it, it gets even worse when you're online, when context is misconstrued and when you don't hear people's tone of voice. And um, yeah, so that's, that's my thing today. It's interesting. We've talked a lot about like voice and um intuition and your gut <laughs> quite literally yeah so, yeah that's really interesting yeah no I I definitely um your thing is also something that I can't stand and I just I wish people would when you see something in somebody that you don't like look inside and try to find what it is about you like what in me aligns with that person and that is also something that cultivates an immense amount of empathy. Um, and I, I wish people would spend a little bit more time being vulnerable, which I'm working on because I, it's super hard for me to be vulnerable. And <laughs> I've been super vulnerable on this, um, this episode with you. So it'll be interesting to share it with, with my people. But um, I wish people would spend a little bit more time being vulnerable and then maybe they'll understand like, Hey, I guess I don't really have an opinion about this. And maybe I need to learn more about it before I open my mouth. (laughs) And in the same sense, like being vulnerable ties to your thing, right? Like so often we don't want to be vulnerable. And so we feel more comfortable covering things up with again, feigned gratitude. Uh, Not to say that gratitude and exercises and gratitude aren't important, right? Like I do journal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like this idea of being vulnerable isn't just being vulnerable with other people and exposing your flaws outwardly, but it's also like being clear and being honest with yourself. Like, hey, 
I am struggling right now. Uh, yeah. And sometimes folks don't, you have, you have to like educate folks, I think sometimes on what that looks like, because people can sometimes see that as negativity or as like wallowing. Um, mm. I don't know, like maybe that's something that we didn't really get into. Like, how do you ensure that leaning into something doesn't become wallowing in a feeling and hyper obsessing about it? And then actually that's inaction in the end. You're not doing anything but wallowing in it, you know? Honestly, I think it's, it's being mindful of what exactly I'm feeling. So like, for example, like there's been times where I've been, you know, really sad and then I'm aware of that sadness and I'm honoring it. So like maybe I, I, I rest a little more that day, but I'm so future focused. So I do what I can to bring myself back to the present moment because then after a while that becomes uncomfortable. Like I don't want to be sad 24 seven. So like, um, you mentioned gratitude. I love to, to list things that I'm grateful for as a way to bring myself back to the present moment. And then I kind of focus on it like, okay, why am I feeling this way? And whether it's listing or, you know, um, just kind of sitting with myself, whatever it is, I go through it and then I go on with my day. And if I'm still feeling that way, like a few days later, I know I haven't done enough unpacking. Like I know I haven't explored it deep enough. Um, I think for me, it's like really hard. I went through so many damn years of therapy that, that it's hard to like put myself back in the perspective of back when I was struggling when I was like, you know, 16, 17 years old. Um, I would just sit in my sadness back then and just like, it was almost like addicting. Like I would just like mope and just be sad. And cause I didn't have any other way, but I think that also connects back to that whole idea of having a language with self. Like once you figure out that language with yourself, I think you're able to get to the bottom of things a lot quicker, um, than when you don't have that language established. Wow. Wow. Yeah, maybe, you know, you're inspiring me to do a little bit of translation for myself, maybe. Um, and I think maybe the ways in which we find the language of self is to identify actually what you're good at, right? So for me, I'm good at externalizing. I can talk about how I feel. I have a really hard time actually feeling things. Um, mm -hmm. So in hindsight, right? Like I can think through things. And oftentimes I, my, my therapist and I've talked about this, the things that I think don't align with how I'm actually feeling internally, but I don't realize until much later on. And then I have an anxiety attack because I've probably had these feelings all along, <laughs> but they're, mm -hmm. they bubble up and I'm like, Whoa, like I'm having an anxiety attack when I've probably been feeling the, um, I guess like the, the shock waves of that earthquake that's been coming for a long time, but I, I, I couldn't translate it. Right. I, I yeah. don't have that dialogue. So I, I wonder if, you know, maybe externalizing that will help me start to translate some of those, those feels, <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, I totally think it will. And it's funny. I was listening um, to one of my favorite podcasts the other night and I hadn't, I had been avoiding this specific episode that was about dying. And because for a long time, I had a very, very severe anxiety, like attached to the concept of death and dying. Same, and my friend. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Two years so ago like, when I watched Kubo and the two strings, it literally made me have an anxiety attack. Have you ever yeah, seen Kubo? See, <laughs> no, I haven't. But like, 
were you avoiding it? Like, were you avoiding? No, like, or did that we watched Kubo and the Two Strings? It's like the most amazing movie. What like, we have a guinea pig named Kubo, but there's this part yeah. of it where it talks about death, and it was like one of those scenes where, like, it, it was an out of body experience. Like, can you imagine, like, a camera zooming in on my face, and it's like, "Hello, darkness, my old friend." Yeah. And, like, my <laughs> eyes just glazed over because everyone's laughing and enjoying the movie, and I'm having an existential crisis about death. Yeah. in the middle of the movie theater and I couldn't stop thinking about it for months afterwards <laughs> yep and like so I had avoided this episode and I, I didn't even realize I had avoided it until till finally I was like well this is the last available episode for me to catch up on I hit play and I very quickly recognized the sensation in my body and I was like, nope, I can't do it. Like, I, I have to turn this off. And I, I turned it off. And I didn't turn it off and then turn something else on. I turned it off and I sat with myself. And I said, you know, this is a very real fear. It's attached to something very traumatic that you experienced. And this is something that you can't predict. And it is real. And I just kind of like had this like pep talk. And I cried a little bit. And I say, I said to myself, like, you, you now know that there are certain things that you have to prepare yourself for. So like, I probably could have prepared myself to listen to that episode um, a little bit better. And I, I am actually kind of intrigued to go back. But I think that, again, if that language with self wasn't established, I wouldn't have recognized the sensation in my body as quickly as I did. Um, and that was, I was on the verge of a panic attack and it had, it's been a very, very long time that since that's happened for me. So it was a very interesting experience. And I, I, I just sat there and I was like, oh my God, I'm so grateful for all the self-work I've done the past, you know, almost year, because I probably wouldn't have been in such a good place had I, had I not explored. Wow. Wow. Well, you are amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us today. Um, Valerie, if other people wanted to find you, where could they find you on the gram? On the gram. So I am moon, M-O-O-N dot beans with a Z. Um, my account is private just because of the fact that I'm a therapist. But yeah, if totally. you send me a message that you're Alyssa's friend, then obviously I want to be your friend too. And I'll, <laughs> I'll accept you. Um, uh, I have no problem with that. And I love, I, it's funny. I recently like just unfollowed a bunch of accounts. Cause I was like, I want to see nothing but like positive, like fun stuff, like not an affirmation bandaid, but I was like, I want to like learn from people. And like, I had to follow like all these accounts that just weren't really teaching me anything. So, um, I would love to, to make new friends. Awesome. Awesome. Well, moonbeams. Thank you again, Valerie. It's been such a joy to talk to you. So listeners, if you want to become friends with Valerie and you want to learn more about trauma-informed lenses on therapy, or you just want to talk about media and television, <laughs> you can find her on Instagram. Um, and I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye.